Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined today by my co-host, Matt Filippovitz. Matt, kill me. Yeah, Bill, that was not that was not fun. Uh, I missed a lot of the second half in real time and rewatched it this morning, uh, and I hated it more than I thought I would. Yeah, this was, a, this was a really bad game for me because this was the first game I've ever watched with my girlfriend, who is an Ohio State graduate. Uh, so now I have oh, that must have been fun. So, well, no, I mean, Ohio State grad. She hates Michigan, too. So I have to decide whether or not uh, I'm going to continue this, uh, really ha- think this thing that makes me very happy, uh, or if I'm going to end it uh, in the efforts to turn around something that makes me really unhappy, which is watching Penn State football right now. Uh, Matt, before we dive into anything else, uh, how uh, how big of a boxing fan are you? Uh, I, I mean, I not not a huge boxing fan, but I know enough terminology to where if you make an analogy, I would probably understand most of it. Okay. Uh, do you, uh, remember not the most famous thing that happened, uh, in when Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield fought, but the most famous quote that came out of their two bouts against one. Oh, I, I do not know. I do not know this quote. Tyson was asked about Holyfield's style and how, while Tyson was known as this guy who would go out there, one punch you, put you on your ass, just knock you out with one punch out of nowhere, wherever it came from. Holyfield was known as a guy who's going to move around. He's going to try and dance around, get you to miss. He's going to chop you down, chop, 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 chop. And do you know what Tyson's famous quote was in response to that when asked about the plan that Holyfield had for the fight? Uh, I do not. You've heard it before. Maybe you didn't know it was from here. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I Uh, couldn't help but think of that phrase over and over as the Michigan Wolverines beat Penn State 41 to 17, gaining 418 yards on the ground, 7.6 yards per carry, 563 total yards and held the ball for 42 of a potential 60 minutes in Ann Arbor on Sunday. To me, Matt, let's get the very, the the first thing out of the way. I did not think Michigan was going to win this football game like this, but when we were thinking about all the things that could have gone gone on in this game. I did not think Michigan winning like this was completely out of the realm of possibility. What about you? I I think I thought it was out of the realm of possibility because it's it's year 9. I I think you could explain away the 16 blowout in the big house to the program still recovering from sanctions. I think the 18 loss you can attribute to that being a down year. Um, I, I thought Penn State could not afford for this year to be a down year after having the past two years be down years. So I I think a lot of people are really upset, not so much that they lost, but it's that they got manhandled and destroyed in this way in year nine under James Franklin. Like the, the roster has been built up as much as it really can be at this point. And this was just a, I think the worst, the worst loss of the Franklin era, you can say it's the Illinois one, but you can kind of explain away that this was a healthy team coming off of a bye, 
with a sixth year quarterback and and they went out there and they just they just got destroyed. Yeah, I I I, I candidly don't care about trying to stack this up against other games that Penn State has played against Michigan, against Illinois, against Ohio State, against anyone and everyone. Um, all that matters to me is that you look at this game for what it was. And it was a football game where two kind of ideas, Matt, about how to play the game of football were presented. Penn State's idea is we want to be balanced offensively. We want to be able to run the ball and throw the ball and have them complement one another. We want to be able on defense to create havoc plays, to force turnovers, to make you uncomfortable you know, we'll get we'll get gashed every now and then, but that's okay because we're going to do this stuff and we will do this stuff well enough that we can live with that. And then there's Michigan. And Michigan's idea for the game of football is we are going to kick your ass in the trenches and we are going to stick with whatever thing works for us. While Penn State has balance in how it attacks a football team or wants to attack a football team, Uh, Yesterday, uh, threw the ball 29 times, ran it 22 times. Michigan ran it 55 times and threw it 24 times. And to me, that is inherently the difference between these two things, Matt. In a, 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 you know, kind of, it's kind of a quote in sports. It's that you don't, or more of a concept. You have your plan A. And if you are so good at your plan A that you never need a plan B, that means you're really good at your plan A. Michigan had a plan A in this football game, Matt. It was to go out there and do exactly what they did. Penn State, it's issue. It might have had a plan A, but I have no idea because they let Michigan define the terms of engagement from the moment the football was kicked off to start this game. Yeah, um, Penn State really could never find a game plan because they never got the chance to implement one. Uh, they, you know, they deferred to the second half and what does Michigan do is they march right down the field. And, you know, thankfully the, the Diaz defense, you know, tightened up in the red zone and held them to a field goal. But that was a, that was just a sign of things to come and that, that Michigan was going to be the one who controlled how this game was played. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe sure you'll hold them to a couple field goals, but they're going to keep the defense on the field for a ton of plays and it's going to cost a lot of valuable time and just a lot of valuable, um, I guess, reps that they're now going to put on the defense. And then and, and the defense just couldn't hold up anymore after, after I think it was like a 65 play differential, maybe. I don't know if it was that high, but I know it was, there was a lot more plays for Michigan than it was for Penn State. Yeah. At halftime of this game, uh, Michigan, uh, of course, at halftime, uh, weirdly enough, it was a 16-14 Michigan football game thanks to a pick six by Curtis Jacobs. Uh, pick Really two plays, a pick six by Curtis Jacob and that big uh, read option by Sean Clifford where he just marched through the middle of Michigan's defense. And then despite uh, what it seemed like Penn State's best efforts, they were then able to go and score a touchdown. But Michigan outgained them in the first half, 274-83, to 83, uh, 106 passing yards to Penn State's 17, rushing yards 168 to 66 with 62 of those coming on Clifford's run on that third down Uh, first downs, Michigan had 18 Penn state had one total plays 50 to 14 for Michigan. Um, Yeah. I, I, when I look at all this stuff, Matt, I, you know, I, 
I almost don't care about trying to say this is what Penn State has been over the years off a of bye. I feel like that's the talking point right now. And I feel like if you're talking about it through the lens of what has Penn State been off of a bye, it's almost an excuse for them. Because you're saying this const, like this thing is proving to be an issue for them. This little thing in having a bye week and having that extra week and having that time to prepare, blah, 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 blah. It's almost an excuse. When the real problem is when Penn State is put into certain situations, particularly against teams that want to push them around and feel like they have the capacity to push them around, especially in big games, Penn State just keeps coming up short. And I don't care if that's off of a bye week. I don't care if that's week one. I don't care if that's week 13 or 14, whatever it might be. It just feels like there is some sort of underlying problem right now. Even in the face of Penn State being five and one with how things happen with this program. Yeah, the vibes are atrocious right now, I think, for everybody uh, and, and how they feel about this team. It's just, it's not good. Things are not where they want to be and where they should be. And I, I think there is a a specific reason as to why, and I don't want to single anybody out. Um, and, and that's a conversation we'll get into later on. But change is healthy in college football, and I think it's time if Penn State wants to win these big games, a change has to happen. Um, and a very specific one regarding who controls the Penn State offense. We can talk about this defense getting gashed all day. Penn State had nine yards in the first quarter, and they have a sixth-year quarterback who everybody said was brought back for these kind of games. And if that's the return on investment you're getting, you have to make a change at quarterback. And, and that's just to salvage the remainder of the season. We're six games in. Clifford is not a better quarterback than he was in 2019. He's just not. I would argue he's worse. And maybe the pieces around him are worse, but I'm not confident the line is worse. So it kind of evens out in that front. But, you know, we I know you and I and in our Slack had talked a lot about um, is this really Clifford's fault because he's not doing anything that's making them lose this game. And my point is, in year six, that's not the goal. The goal is to have a guy who can elevate you. And I know the defense has their issues. I know we have problems with the play calling. But I think we have to consider that maybe the play calling feels so stale because of the limitations number 14 has. And uh, I, I don't know if we've seen the last of him, but I, I think a whiteout homecoming game against Minnesota Next week is the perfect time to pass the sticks to the first five-star quarterback the program has had in a decade. I just think it's time. And it sucks that it ended the way that it did, but this is still a potential 10-win season. And I predicted 9-3 and three to start the year, but after a loss that bad, the vibes are so off, there has to be a major shakeup on this roster or, you know, it, it maybe even in the coaching staff, you're not going to fire anybody, you know, mid-season, but maybe just changing responsibilities. You have to make a change here if you want to get through this stretch, uh, even with one win at this point. So the reason that I have, like, 
I don't have a problem with swapping out. Um, Why well, I don't have a problem with swapping out offensive coordinators at this, or not all quarterbacks at this point. It's because I need to see. I need to see what is going on with Penn State's offense because I need to know if the struggles that Penn State has on the offensive side of the football are because of Sean Clifford and because they're worried about his limitations and because this and this and this and this and this, or are the problems things that exist because of the philosophy, the coaching staff, whatever. Like in 2020, Penn State went four and five on the season. Penn State's offensive SP plus was 26th nationally. They had 430.3 yards per game, which was second in the Big Ten. 256 passing yards per game, which was fourth in the Big Ten. 174.3 rushing yards per game in the Big Ten. 29.8 points per game, which was third in the Big Ten. And of course, that was over an entire football season. That was against Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State and all these other teams. Currently in 2022, Penn State's offense is 43rd in SP plus, 414.3 yards per game, which is eighth in the Big Ten. 235.3 passing yards per game, that is eighth in the Big Ten. 179 rushing yards per game that is fifth in the Big Ten, 31.5 points per game that is sixth in the Big Ten. I'm going to sit here and predict that those numbers are going to come down a bit over the course of the remainder of the season. So a question that a fundamental question that I have, what was it about 2020 and how the offense functioned and all that stuff that was not good enough? And when you look at where Penn State was in 2020, and maybe you straight up say, because Drew, Mike Yurisich got Drew Aller, he is untouchable. Like, he was able to get the kind of guy Penn State football has been coveting for years and years and years. For that reason, he is, he is unimpeachable. But what was it about 2020 that wasn't good enough? Schematically, personnel-wise, whatever it was, that made it so Kirk Shiraka, who, by the way, is coming to Happy Valley next week, even with a potential backup quarterback, I believe Tanner Morgan might not be out, and is going to want to do the exact same thing that Michigan did to them. What was it about that offense that was not good enough? And what is it about where Penn State is now and where Penn State was last year when they were at 376.4 yards per game and 24.8 points per game? That is okay, Matt. Can, like, can you explain that to me? Because that's on just the offensive side of the football. What gets the defensive side of the football? I didn't think Sean Clifford, again, I don't think Sean Clifford was like a huge problem in this game. He made some throws in the third quarter. There was that fourth down against uh, fourth down. I think it was 24-17 at this point. He drops in the bucket for Parker Washington. Parker Washington drops, drops it. He makes that one throw down the sideline to uh, – to Harrison Wallace, drops it in the butt. Like, I thought the problems went beyond Sean Clifford. But I am open to the possibility that we need to see a new quarterback so we can have an understanding of whether or not they have been acting as an offense because they think there are limitations on Sean Clifford. I think that's it. I, I just, I really like 
Mike Yersich. I like what he did at Oklahoma State. I like what he did at Ohio State. I like what he did at Texas. I cannot imagine. Well, well if, I, if, I, if, if, if I may jump in. Yeah. At what point do we start wondering what he did at Oklahoma State? Well, he was coaching under Mike Gundy. He was coaching under an offense guy. What he did at Texas. Well, he was coaching under Tom Herman. That's an offense guy. What he did at Ohio State. That's under Ryan Day. Ryan Day, who as of right now is the number one offense in the country, is the play caller. So when do we start asking those sorts of questions of a guy like Mike Yersich, where it's, you know, I think, you know, I, I think there's he's done some good stuff. You know, I think of that last drive against Purdue and how I thought he put together a really good drive. But when do we start asking, you know, what? it's a little bit weird that this guy keeps coaching under head coaches who like to call plays for their offense. I, I, that's a totally valid point. And, and the thing I'll counter with is if you think about the quarterbacks that he coached at those stops, they all went on to become NFL draft picks. Mason Rudolph, NFL draft pick. Justin Fields, draft pick. Sam Ellinger, draft pick. And you can nitpick and say, well, Ellinger was more of a runner. The offense was still tailored around a guy who did one thing very well. Clifford does not do one thing well enough to have an offense built like that. And he's just not a flat out good enough player to play at the next level. So he's stuck in this no man's land, in my opinion, that that he can't get out of. And that's where I think you have to go to Drew Aller, who, listen, he's he's completed, I don't even know, he's thrown like under 30 passes in his career. But again, you sign Drew Aller to get you to the playoff. He's His red shirt's burned. This year's already done. It's gone, for him at least. I'm not saying the season's a, a lost cause because there's a lot still to play for. There's a, a potentially a Big Ten championship on the table still. Not that I think they'll get it, but it's still a possibility. Um, it, it's just time, man. Like, it's year six, and, and I hate the way people talk about Sean Clifford in that, well, he just he's, he's not doing enough to cost them the game. That's not the bar in year six. The, year, the bar in year six is, are you elevating us to the highest level? And he's flat out not. Teams don't respect him enough to the point where they're that concerned. And I think that's a major reason why Penn State's run game has been so atrocious over the years. And especially over these past few weeks, now with teams figuring out there's no Jahan Dotson on the roster they have to focus in on. I think... It all comes back. And I hate to pick on the guy. I hate to pick on a college kid. I think Sean Clifford is going to go on to be a very successful person. But that's not going to be as Penn State's starting quarterback. And it can't be anymore. That was what, start 39? He completed under 50% of his passes in start 39. Or it was it was probably worse than that. And, and I just can't. I don't understand why it's still a conversation. I don't understand how we can look at a guy who has been benched multiple times throughout his college career, who has all these injury concerns and still say, yes, that's the best option. When the biggest quarterback prospect to sign here in a decade has shown that he can make plays and make throws that the current guy can't. And I'm with you. I have to see if Yersich can change how he calls an offense when he has a quarterback that he handpicked and that he has developed for his entire very short college career. And I think if Aller goes out there against Minnesota and plays well, 
I think that changes the dynamic of how we view these la- this last half of the season. There's a lot of ball to be played. And I said on this podcast last week, 23 and 24 are window years for Penn State to make a push to make the playoff. And you can start setting yourself up to be successful in those years and probably still win four or five games if you make the switch now. And and that's why I think it, it you'll learn a lot more about the future of your team if you say the future has to be now. Well, well, the, I mean, the concern, and th- this is a real concern for me, is we saw what happened when Drew Aller comes into a football game under circumstances where, you know, they're not good. Like, there is a better football team on the other side of it. Like, I did not think he looked especially good against Michigan. Not like, But that's, like, also you're throwing a kid to the wolves at that point. Like, well, but, but he's a freshman. He, I thought he looked the same as Clifford did in year six. I thought it was about, about, Ooh, I, I would, I would, I, I would disagree with that. I thought uh, look, Clifford at least like Clifford at least like seemed like he knew what he was doing in the pocket. I thought there were a few situations where Aller took a step and just kind of stood there and like had some deer in the headlight stuff, but also like that's going up against Michigan. Like you as a true freshman. Yeah. As a true pre- freshman. Like, yeah. I didn't, that's the thing. I didn't think Clifford necessarily had like a deer in the headlights. Like I think Penn state's offense was just completely overwhelmed. I mean, I think of, I, I think two plays that really stick out for me. One Penn state's first drive of the game, they get down to a third and one. And on that third and one, they decide our philosophy for this football game is we are running the damn football. We know the second level of that Michigan defense is soft. We're going to attack it. Penn State gets up there, jumbo formation, about as close to a jumbo formation as they'll have. They hand it off to Nick Singleton, and the dude on the edge, Mike Morris, one of the best edge players in all of college football, is getting blocked by Tyler Warren and just eats him up, eats him up in the backfield. Penn State punts after that. You go a little bit later in the game. J.J. McCarthy has a scramble on third and nine. He gets past the line of scrimmage, points the ball past the line of scrimmage, it gets knocked out of his hand. It goes out of bound behind the line of scrimmage. Fourth and one. What does Michigan do? They go out there immediately, put in their jumbo formation, hand the ball to Blake Corum, and they just run right up the middle. And that's just such a fundamental difference between these two things, Matt, that like, I, I, it's funny. I don't like care about whether or not Phil Troutwine should get fired because I'm just used to Penn State having terrible offensive lines and he's at least recruiting talent in. So I don't like, you know, keep him around if he's going to keep recruiting dudes. Like I'm fine with that at this point because Penn State's offensive line has sucked throughout James Franklin's tenure. And we're still at a point where it sucks with the third different offensive line coach with a third, diff- fourth different, off- fifth different, Jesus, offensive coordinator with all these sorts of things. Like, I'm fine with just continuing to run this back. But when I look at Penn State's offense in this football game, Matt, I just look at a unit that they did not look, they look like the thing that they wanted to do. And tell me if you agree or disagree with this. I thought Penn State from the jump wanted to go out and try to run the football and take advantage of the fact that Michigan's linebackers are not particularly great. And once that was taken away from them, once it was, it became obvious that we were going to look back on the end of this game and see if the running backs had 12 carries for 41 yards. And the only touchdown was that one by Katron Allen after that 62 yard read option by Sean Clifford. Once that was taken away from them, it just seemed like they had nothing. They had absolutely nothing to me. That is a really, really big concern. 
Yeah, and and I think again, I I, I don't want to pick on the guy, and and and, I, and I'll stop on my Clifford points, but I think there's a reason the game plan was to give it to their running backs and try to have them feast on the second level. Um, I think realistically, you could have done that throwing the football with Brenton Strange, uh, Parker Washington over the middle, uh, and I think there's a reason that that was not how they chose to attack it. I think they could have been successful um, if they tried it, but I'm not a coach. So again, that's not for me to say really. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. Once uh, once they were bottled up, it was it, they had no idea what to do. And and again, that goes back to my issue with Clifford in that they it, it was on him to go out there and win the game and he just didn't answer the bell. And it's year six. Uh, I, I'm sorry. If you can't answer that bell in year six, I don't care how much better you think Michigan is than Penn State. This is still Penn State football. This is still a guy who's been in the program for more than half a decade. He had to play better. And a lot of it, it's a whole, it's on the offense as a whole again. And I'm not trying to pick on Clifford, but I I, I just can't, I, I can't imagine it's healthy for the program anymore to have him still lead the offense. And hopefully with Aller, teams just respect Penn State's ability to throw a bit more. I really hope that the deep ball comes back. And Singleton and Allen are such talented backs, and I think we're hurting them by not playing what I perceive to be as the more talented quarterback at this point. I mean, I, I would I would argue it's more that we're hurting them because they can't run block to save their lives, but whatever. Right. That, uh, yeah, that's but, yeah, that's also true. You're right. Yeah, you're totally and, and here, right. And here, here's the here's the entire thing. Like it's not like Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley and Brenton Strange were open all game, you know? Like, I don't even think that, like, again, this goes back to, all right, let's ask some more questions. Are Is this because Mike Yurcich isn't able to scheme up ways to get them open or get them the football? Is this on the way that they're coached by Taylor Stubblefield? Is this on, you know, football at the end of the day is about Jimmy's and Joe's and Penn State's Jimmy's and Joe's aren't able to get the job done? I don't, again, I don't, no, I have no clue whether or not this is a thing that happens because of who the quarterback is, who the running backs are, who this, this, this. But when I watch this Penn State football team and I watch its pass catchers and I see Brenton Strange get bottled, like Michigan was not blitzing all that much. They were bringing four dudes. They were dropping their guys back into coverage. They knew they can get home. They knew they could take away places for Penn State to catch the football. And Penn State just had no response to that. And I real again, I know you're gonna say bench Clifford year six. I, like I do not think that is on Sean Clifford. Again, I think they should go to Drew Aller for other reasons, but I don't think Sean Clifford was put in a position to succeed in this game. I don't think the running backs, the offensive line, the receipt, pass catchers, whoever were put in positions to succeed in this game. You're right. Yeah. My a a like cons- a, a constant concern that I have is that Penn State goes out there in these sorts of big games and gets very tense and uh, scared of losing instead of trying to go out there and grab the game by its throat and win it. But that's, you know, we've gone on long enough about the offense. People want to hear us talk about Penn State's defense. I'm sure actually nobody actually wants to listen (laughs) listen to us talk about Penn State Stevens. We'll get to that in a second. But first, before we do that, we have to thank our podcast sponsor, Homefield Apparel. If you are a college sports fan of the internet, you are aware of Homefield Apparel. You've seen them posting uh, probably nihilistically about Indiana football because things could be going better uh, for the Hoosiers. Uh, lost 38 to 33 to Maryland yesterday. I only bring that up because we commiserate with you. Uh, friends, not because we're trying to rub it in, but Homefield, a premium apparel brand based out of Indianapolis to make really cool, 
comfortable and unique shirts that make you feel closer to the school that you love. I wore a home field apparel t-shirt all week. It was five and zero before uh, this weekend. Maybe sure. Maybe the whole concept of lucky shirts are a bit silly. Of course, Penn State's uh, collection with home field apparel has 15 pieces of merchandise. And if you are a listener of this podcast and you have not made a purchase through home field apparel in the past, you can use the promo code roar lions roar one word, all uppercase to get 15% off of your first order. Again, the promo code roar lions roar for 15% off of your first customer. If you were a new uh, uh, first order, if you are a new customer, thank you very much to home field apparel for sponsoring this podcast. Let's get back into it. And Matt, for how frustrating Penn State's offense was, uh, drives of 210, 136, 218, then uh, end of the half, whatever, 145, 339, 155, 154, 246. For how frustrating all of that was, and all of that plays, I will say all of that plays into this thing we're going to talk about. Penn State's defense had an absolutely wretched performance against Michigan's offense, allowing 536 yards of total offense, 145 through the air, 418 on the ground, 11 for 17 uh, on third downs, 28 first downs to Penn State's 10. James Franklin had a few quotes after the game that seemed, uh, it seemed like he was trying to say something, and I'm a little frustrated that he didn't just come out and say it. Uh, I'm surprised we didn't play that well. We were not able to control the line of scrimmage. Then he said this, we have to develop, we have to recruit, we have to get bigger, we're undersized in some spots. Everyone thinks they're Aaron Donald, but they're not. There's only one guy in the last 100 years to do that, and he's talking about being Aaron Donald. And I hear those quotes, man, and I'm like, just what the hell is going on when you as the head coach are calling out your football players like that. And you are saying, you know, I, I mean, we're we're all adults here. We can probably point to, you know, the guys, you know, maybe like uh, Hakeem Beeman, who's listed at 264, because I is there's a little bit bigger at 292. But you're looking at those more slender defensive tackles, and it seems like Franklin was putting a whole hell of a lot on them. I, like... What the hell was up with the defense in this game, man? Because as I'm sitting here and I'm looking at things and I went back and watched, it just looked like, you know, again, going back to the Jimmys and Joes thing, it looked like to a man, Penn State just could not hold up against the physicality of this Michigan offense. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. They just couldn't hold up. It's not even like they were trying to win. The goal was to get in the way at some point to try to stop Corum and Edwards. And I will say, um, hat tip to them. Those are two outstanding yes. running backs. I, you know, I, I would be remiss if I did not give credit where credit is due. Um, and those two dudes are outstanding, and that is the best. That is the best one-two running back game I think I've ever seen somebody play against Penn State. You think that's fair to say? It's up there. Yeah, man. I can't think of I one mean, that I can't think of a more impressive performance for two backs. Um, and and this, we knew what we were getting with Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz got fired by Texas when he allowed BYU to run for 550 yards against the Longhorns about a decade ago. This was something that I think a lot of us understood was a possibility when we brought in Diaz. I hope that he would have learned how to stop it in the past decade. 
Um, but it, 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 no, it just didn't happen. Penn State does have to be bigger. This is not, this is not the ACC. You cannot get by with tweener types who can just out athlete. This is the Big Ten. This is the this is the lineman conference. If you are an elite lineman, you probably have been heavily recruited or attend a Big Ten school. Defensive tackles have to be big and get in the way. I'm not saying that doesn't mean there's a home for the Aaron Donald types, and, I, and I'm a huge Hakeem Beeman fan, and I, I, I don't think it's as much on him as it is some other guys because this was always going to be the Beeman role um, of, of that kind of more slender guy. But at some point, this this has to be something they address up front, and they just need to go out there and find a guy who will be the space eater. I think Fatorma Molba is a guy we hoped would be that, but we haven't heard from him in, in a couple years on campus now, and, and it does take time to get your body ready to take on that kind of role, but I wouldn't mind seeing him out there against Minnesota, who's going to try to run it down their throat with Mo Ibrahim. So the, this is part of the Diaz experience. Like, you know, if you're not getting turnovers, you're getting gashed for big plays, and Again, credit to Corum, credit to Edwards, um, credit to McCarthy for how efficient he was on third down. That was absolutely deflating to watch how many third downs they converted while Penn State could not do anything. Um, but but Diaz has to be better. This front has to be better. And and if they if they are better, ten and two is still on the table. But if they play like that and with that on tape now, uh, teams are going to try to expose them with that constantly. And and again. Two teams that have some pretty darn good running back rooms are, are right on the horizon. Yeah, uh, I'm looking through the uh, the way the snap counts were allocated in this football game uh, for Penn State's defensive line, and you know I think they're it's pretty telling. PJ Musper played 61 snaps. Uh, I don't have the uh, number in front of me of how many uh, total snaps defense played. PJ Musper 61, Hakeem Beeman 47. Uh, then you move down, Koziah is her 28, Devon Ellis 20, Jordan Vandenberg 6, Xander Ant 4. I mean, there you look at those dudes, and it's PJ Mustafer, and then hoping someone else is going to be able to go in there and push him around. I mean, push around next to him. Uh, I will say this I thought I, I was talking to a co worker of mine who knows offensive line play a whole hell of a lot better than I do is my colleague, Robbie Calland. And he said something that I thought was really, really, you know, something he thought was correct that I thought was correct. Uh, that Penn State's gap control all game was horrendous. And while you can, while they did get pushed around up the middle, Matt, when Michigan's running backs needed to find a hole and they saw there was something outside and they were able to break one, they were, they just demolished Penn State. When Michigan's running backs were able to get into any kind of space, they demolished Penn State. Penn State was very good in the red zone. When space was compressed against Michigan's defense offense. I thought Penn State's defense held up pretty well. Yeah, I totally agree. I but when Michigan's running backs had space to run into, they demolished Penn State. And yes, I think Manny Diaz is going to get a lot of uh 
a lot of scrutiny for this, and he certainly deserves that. It's something, it is something he has to fix. But then when I th- say all of that, Matt, I then think, okay, when Michigan is getting out into space, who are the guys you want to be able to stop them? And it's Penn State's linebackers in that situation. And all season long, Penn State's linebacker play has been a concern of mine. And you now look at this game. You know, Abdul Carter looked like a freshman, but I thought he generally looked all right. Curtis Jacobs, you know, I don't ever think of him as the kind of linebacker who, you know, he's not the Micah Parsons type of against the run where he's going to be able to snuff things out and out physical and out match you. I think his, uh, his best after he's a fast guy is better on havoc plays, that sort of things. But then I was just sitting there and thinking like, you know what? We really got a reminder that Tyler Elsden and Kobe King are young dudes who, who have to wrap a little up bit of help and jump. Yeah. Have to Tyler Elsden, man. Oh my Bill, like, That drove me. That was, that was got, the most upset. I was the whole, the whole game. I think it was a Donovan Edwards yeah. run and he made contact uh, like three yards in and just hit him with his and shoulder and didn't wrap up. And it was like Brandon Smith all over yeah. again. And it made me nuts. Yeah. And then Jonathan Sutherland was, uh, and then Jonathan Sutherland was, uh, you know, he was a reserve safety and special teams guy who they needed to turn into a starting linebacker. Like for how much I think there, you know, Manny Diaz deserves scrutiny. I think he has to do a whole hell of a lot better job getting figuring out how to line his guys up, how to, uh, you know, teach and instruct his guys where they need to be pre-snap. You know, you you can see how they miss a guy like an Ellis Brooks in this game who just told guys where they need to stand. Again, it goes back to the guys you have on the field, and it was apparent to me, particularly in Penn State's front seven. You know, what was the mo- what was the defensive play that sticks out the most to you when you think of Penn State's defense, other than the pick six, Penn State's defense stuffing Michigan. What is the play that sticks out to you, man? I want to know if it's the same play that I think of. Um, there's so few of them. Uh, probably the one where Jair Brown is up at the line of scrimmage. Yep. Um, and he just absolutely a, yep. takes on a block and he, he's got that, that that's a dude who wants to win more than anything else. So you could tell we took the Juco route, man, that dude, that dude gives us all. Yep. When your safety is lined up, hand in the ground on the line of scrimmage wins on the edge and takes down Blake Corum in the backfield. And that's like, that's the best example that we have. What the hell is going on out there, man? Like it just felt like it felt like Penn state went into this game needing to make JJ McCarthy beat them. And JJ McCarthy was all right. 17 for 24, 145 yards, no touchdowns and interception, six yards per attempt. Uh, Funny enough, his QBR was 77. Sean Clifford's QBR of 78.6 was better. So I like they needed JJ McCarthy to beat them. There was that one play where McCarthy's falling down. He just throws this like prayer up that, you know, I don't even remember who caught it because I think I blacked out in that moment. But they didn't do the thing that they needed to do, which was make JJ McCarthy beat them. Michigan was just able to define the terms of engagement of this game from the jump. Yeah. Um, I'm not sold on McCarthy being good, which makes me even more angry. Like a, a lot of Penn State's losses over the years have been to quarterbacks that I think are really talented. Um, and I don't think this was that. I think this was, again, McCarthy does what's asked of him, but he commands him enough respect to where he can make you think twice. And that's the annoying part. Um, 
I, I do I do want to see how they follow that up against it. We think Tanner Morgan is out this week, correct? Uh, I, I'll I'll do a little bit of homework while mm-hmm. you're while you're talking right now, but I will and but I believe that's the expectation. So I, I do want to see if if Penn State's defense is able to kind of regain their confidence. Um, against uh hopefully well i guess it kind of is one and the same because whoever minnesota's backup is isn't very mobile either um so i i do want to see if they can kind of have a good reset after going against a team that is pure power football not like this modern power football we're seeing like michigan runs and see if that you know gives them a new place to go um or gives them like a new a new breath of confidence but uh, again, I just feel really, really dejected that I got to watch a quarterback I don't think is that great play not great football and still destroy Penn State. That That's the most disappointing part to me. Yeah, uh, so Morgan, su- Tanner Morgan suffered what it, I, I think is believed uh, to be a concussion during Minnesota's game against Illinois. P.J. Fleck said after the game, uh, it's unfortunate he's such a competitor and that was a pretty violent hit. Uh, as he went to the ground, I thought our staff did an amazing job spring into action, but they're going to ha- give him the best care. I know that. That's all I have at this time. He was carted off. Uh, he was apparently alert after the game. You know, all the best to Tanner Morgan. That's a guy who's played. Yeah, nothing but nothing but the best hell, to Tanner Morgan. Yeah, yeah, whole hell of a lot of football. Uh, his replacement is a 2021 uh, recruit who is currently uh, a retro freshman named Ethan uh, Kalia Kamanis. I might have just butchered that. I should have had you read that one, Matt. I apologize. Uh, but you looked at this game and you looked at the game state under which this game had to happen and everything came down to what was going to win out Penn state's secondary being a factor in this game or Penn state's front seven costing them this game. And, you know, I, when, how far to Manny Diaz's was that game against BYU where they fired him? I, I don't recall. Oh, good question. Uh, keep talking and I will do some research. I, I I got it up here. He was uh, Texas's defensive coordinator from 2011 until 2013. So, so that was in year three. By that point, he had – yeah. And uh, first season at Texas, top defense in the Big 12, uh, first in total defense, rushing defense, and pass defense, 11th in total defense, sixth in running defense. Uh, so I am frustrated. I think that was a bad performance by Manny Diaz's defense. But I do think – and you know what? I th- I'm going to say that Franklin's comments after the game about needing to recruit better and not being Aaron Donald, blah, blah, blah. My guess is that's a hu- that's a bit of a hint that he thinks that the players weren't up to par in this game, which, you know, there's there's some stuff in that that I don't – that really rubs me the wrong way. You're in your ninth year as a head coach and you can't get players to bulk up the way you want them to. What's going on with your strength and conditioning program with how you're coaching, blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, when you're just looking at this game in, uh, you know, specifically, like, I, I just don't know when your offense isn't able to stay on the field, when the other team is running 32 more plays than, you're off, than you in a half, when the other team has the ball and, you know, 42 minutes to your 18 minutes. It's a thing that we saw with Brent Pry's defenses, Matt. Like, at a certain point, you are asking guys to do everything. And unless you suddenly get an all-pro defense, 
you just don't aren't able to do everything. And like, I think that the offense put the defense in positions to fail. I think that the defensive personnel wasn't great. I thought the defensive game plan, you know, at a certain point, it just, there was nothing that they could do. Like in a way you tip your hat and you say, listen, that, that was an outstanding performance by Michigan's offense, particularly as offensive line in its running game. But boy, they, they, Penn State's defense all of a sudden going into this Minnesota game, it's it, it's not fun. I, I don't want to say – how do I want to word this? I don't know if I want to say this is a consistent problem or a one-off that will rear its head. And I'm trying to figure out in, kind of in real time right now if there's a difference between the two. Um, I don't think this is going to happen to Penn State again this year. I'll put it that way. But I think that I let me let okay. me oh, go ahead. No, sorry, go ahead. Go 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 ahead. I don't you, think you this, go ahead. I don't uh, think this is. I I just jotted down. Go ahead. I don't think this is going to happen to Penn State's defense again this year, because I don't think we're ever going to see a perfect storm like that where a team just cannot miss on third down. The offense for Penn State is as bad as it is. And they have two NFL running backs uh, who would be drafted tomorrow going up against them in the backfield. So, but I think that that one or two big plays are always going to be able to be made by good running backs against Diaz. And again, I don't know how long Diaz is going to be a defensive coordinator. I'm sure he wants to be a head coach again at some point. Um, but again, I, I do not think that something like that is going to happen again. But I think there's certain backbreaking plays that will happen again against Penn State this year. If that may, if you can separate the two, which I'm trying to figure out if I can even do, I think that'll happen. So I wrote down three letters while you were talking, and it's why I disagree with you. I, like I think next week's a huge week for them, be, and we'll talk about that in one second. But Michigan, uh, this is through last week uh, per the website Football Outsiders and its uh, offensive line stats in college football. Michigan, 20th in average line yards, so rushing yards that you can basically attribute to your offensive line winning up front. 19th in standard down line yards, 4th in passing down line yards, 8th in opportunity rate, 21st in power success rate, 32nd in stuff rate. You look a few weeks down the road, Big noon kickoff coming to Happy Valley against Ohio State for an offense who is first in average line yards, first in standard down line yards, 83rd in passing down line yards. So, okay, a bit of a weakness there, but second in the opportunity rate, 44th in power success rate, first in stuff rate. You want to talk about a good offensive line, an offensive line that can win? That Ohio State line is going to be able to do that. You want to talk about running backs who are going to be in the NFL, that trio of Travion Henderson, of uh, Mayan Williams, of Dallin Hayden are guys who can end up in the NFL. So I think next week against uh, uh, next week against Minnesota is going to be a tough one for Penn State. I think Minnesota is going to come out there and, again, be licking their chops after suffering two tough losses in a row and – going up and, you know, not having their quarterback, the stuff I just mentioned, I mentioned a little earlier about Kirk Shiraka, blah, 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 and say, all right, a really good time to get it right is against a team that just got punched in the mouth over and over while we have Mohamed Ibrahim. But I think Ohio State's going to give them some problems. And this gets into, Matt, kind of this last thing, and it's a thought that I had that I want to run by you, and it might be insane. 
it might be completely insane. Uh, I think that Penn State has gone out there and tried to build a football team that wants to go and win games against the best team in its conference. And the best team in its conference is Ohio State. How do you go out there and stop Ohio State's offense? It's pass rushers. It's a stout secondary. Yes. And I think Penn State has built its team trying to do that. And a concern that I have, and again, this might be crazy. You can tell me if I'm crazy. I'm sure someone will hop into my DMs to tell me if I'm crazy. A concern that I have is the glaring issue in that, other than, like, I, I think just trying to stop Ohio State is crazy, um, is that if you have a team that does what Michigan does and they want to push you around and they see that you're a little light in the tooth, they're going to be able to do this to you on a consistent basis. So now we are in a situation. We are in a situation where if you're going to do that if that's going to be kind of your approach, you need to go out there and beat Ohio State or you need to give Ohio State a fight for its life. And right now, whether Sean Clifford or Drew Aller or Trace McSorley or uh, Daryl Clark or whomever is Penn State's quarterback, I just don't know if Penn State is capable of doing right now, which brings us back to uh, the 2018 Ohio State game when James Franklin talked about going from good to great to elite and how we are going to be four four years out from that. And I don't think Penn State has gotten a step closer to what James Franklin mentioned in that day. Yeah, when you when you floated this to us a couple days ago, I guess yesterday at this point, um, that that this roster is built to beat Ohio State, I think that's fair. It, let me just, let me just tell you real quick. If I had that thought a couple of days ago, I would have, I would have got in my car. I was uh my my went up to Cleveland uh yesterday. I would have got in my car, driven to the Pennsylvania state border, put ten thousand dollars on every single Michigan alternate line, driven back, and I would have given up this podcast because I could retire. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean. I think you're right. I think this roster is built to stop Ohio State, or that's the overall goal, because more often than not, that's the team that's going to control this division, conference, when divisions go away. Um, And Penn State has consistently played Ohio State close, and I think this current roster is built to stop Ohio State better than anyone that's come before it. But I, you're right. I do think it's come at the expense of stopping teams that want to run traditional Big Ten Powerball. And Michigan is probably the team that runs that best. And th- it was just kind of the perfect storm. Um, but again, I, I think teams are going to see this. And this is going to be the reason Penn State loses the dumb game they lose every year. And I don't know what game that's going to be yet. It could be Minnesota. Um, I don't think it will be uh, in a night game, homecoming, whiteout. I just don't think that's going to – I just don't think it's in the cards. Um, But uh, I I just – I'm nervous that if Ohio State goes out there and and steamrolls them in two weeks, then everything we thought Franklin built for the last four years, I think probably gets thrown out the window. Well, that's that's the crazy thing 
Matt, like to, you know, to try and have a little bit of an, an optimistic, you know, steering to the ending here, like Penn state beats Minnesota and then loses to, loses to Ohio state. Like they lose a hundred, nothing in Ohio state. I don't care at Indiana, Maryland, a Maryland team that looks like, you know, another guy we have to send well wishes to Talia Tagovailoa uh, got carted off with an injury of his own. Yeah, Suddenly, rough, rough, um, rough. And we're like, before I forget, um, shout out to Mike right. Hart for being able to coach on Saturday. I didn't, yes, I didn't, I, I forgot. I went on a Michigan podcast. I forgot to mention Mike Hart a couple uh, last week. So um, I'm, I'm very happy that Mike Hart is healthy and and really cool to see him back on the sideline. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I felt it was important that we. Uh, no, it's we okay. Gave a shout totally out there. cool. Yeah, totally cool. But like. When you think of the dumb Penn State loss, you think of teams that could do a very specific thing against Penn State. And I suppose Minnesota can do that. But they beat Minnesota. They lose to Ohio State. At Indiana, Maryland, at Rutgers, Michigan State is the rest of their schedule. They should win every single one of those games. They should win comfortably every single one of those games. And the thought of a Penn State dumb loss should be off the table. Like, that's where... That stretch, and I guess if you want to throw Minnesota into that, by all means. What I said earlier about the bye and how I'm not concerned about, uh, you know, I think it's almost like letting Franklin off the hook or whatever to point out bye weeks and how he's just struggled off of those. One thing I think you can point to is this Penn State team spirals or this Penn State program. I don't want to say this team because we don't know yet. This Penn State program has spiraled in the face of losses. And this is an opportunity to, you go out there and beat Minnesota, you go out, whatever, against Ohio State, and then you go into a stretch to end the season where you should win every single game. The two teams that you have to play on the road are the two worst teams that you're going to play in that stretch. Suddenly, this is a 10-2 and two football team, and this podcast, this episode of the podcast sounds a little bit more silly. Um, yeah, but... Go ahead. No, Real go quick, ahead. I, I made sure to look this up this morning because I figured this would come up and how you know how this team is coming off of losses. A lot of the Franklin losses have been close. The few times they've been blown out, especially most recently against Michigan in 2018, they came back out there and they played a great game at home against Wisconsin. So I think it's the emotional letdown after close losses that are a bigger problem. I, I think you can kind of move on from getting your ass handed to you relatively quickly, um, just based on the, the track record Franklin's shown. But I will say this. If they come out next week against Michigan, uh, not against Michigan, it's Minnesota, a Minnesota team that is reeling, that is licking its wounds, that – uh, two weeks ago against Purdue, again, with the caveat that they lost Mohamed Ibrahim, 200, uh, 304 yards of offense, 47 rushing yards last week against Illinois, uh, this past week against Illinois, 180 yards of total offense, 38 passing yards, 142 rushing yards, a very limp 142 uh, rushing yards because they could, literally could not do anything else. You lose to that team. And you lose to that team because they looked at what Michigan did and they replicated that. And you lose to that team. And that offensive coordinator who you said was not good enough. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to look into this camera and seek into this microphone and say, I don't think James Franklin should be Penn State's coach anymore. I truly do not believe that. You'd be justified. Because, Because, and I understand the realities of the situation. I'm not going to sit here and say I want Matt Rule because I think 
Matt Rule's a bit of a clown. Uh, you know, he's had a success in a few places, but then he also went to the NFL and completely fell on his face, and he should just sit with his $40 million and be happy for a little bit. But if you're going to come out and lose that game in the way that you lost the Michigan game, at home, in the whiteout, with the chance to steer, get the ship back on track before you play Ohio State, it reminds me, you know, do you, to throw a bit of a comparison out, it reminds me of the 2016 Minnesota game. That game is going to be a flashpoint. I have told this story on the pod year after year after year. I left that game at halftime. I pulled out this stupid phone. I hopped into our Slack while we uh, had a blog, and I was planning with someone a piece on who we want Penn State to hire when they fire James Franklin. We don't have a blog anymore, but if they lose that game against Minnesota next week, that sentiment is going to remain. Uh, and Matt... I'll, I'll give you the last word before I wrap it up. But boy, uh, it, it's very funny that we're talking this way uh, now that I think about it, about a team that could potentially go 10-2 and two in the toughest or second toughest division in all of football. Uh, my one positive, uh, we found our kickoff specialist. Uh, congrats to Jake Pinnaker. That's the, that's the lone positive. Yeah. Hey, listen, Jake Pinnaker, uh, he went out there. He was solid on kickoffs he made uh, both of his extra points and his one field goal so you know shout out him i suppose uh yeah any no, so no final thoughts on this one uh bury the tape um after you watch it and learn from it and let's again a 10 and 2 season would exceed my expectations and i think I still think that's the most realistic record for Penn State right now. And, you know, maybe now that we've talked it out, I feel a little bit better. I know you said this is therapeutic for you, and I think it was more therapeutic for me this time around. <laughs> um, you know, I, it sucks. Yeah, and even good teams get their ass handed to them from time to time. But still, there's there's a reason that the elites that Penn State are trying to catch don't really get their ass handed to them like that. And I hope that this is the last we see of this for uh, for at least another couple of years. Yeah, that makes two of us. Uh, but again, chance to, chance to get back on track this week against Minnesota. So hopefully Penn State's able to do that. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of the podcast. As always, make sure you are subscribing wherever you go and get your podcast. Head to the link tree link in our Twitter bio if you want to know where you can go out and do that. And if it's a place where you can uh, leave a review or leave a rating, give us a nice five-star rating. And please remember, as always, to direct any complaints you have to myself and Matt, our shared Twitter account. is at PSUMatt2005. Uh, please make sure you follow the podcast uh, Twitter account at RLR blog. And one last time, thank you very much to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring this edition of the podcast. Again, head over there and for first time customers use the promo code Roar Lions Roar, one word, all uppercase for 15% off of your first order. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. For Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go State.